You give Teller from Jerusalem 20 minutes, and he'll give you the education of a lifetime. King of the storytellers and the Shakespeare of the Torah world, here is Rabbi Hanok Teller. Hello out there in podcast land. Thank you for joining us, and I'm very glad that you're joining us for this very special edition. Special insofar as it's a very important history lesson with a vital take-home for everyone and the details of what happened are not well known. I worked hard on the scripting, and I'm sure that you will enjoy, please God. And, since I always forget at the end to remind you, please be allow me to say so at the outset. Please recommend us to your friends and family. Subscribe and give us a rating, as this helps. Teller from Jerusalem had an unexpected interruption in the summer of 2022, and we're building ourselves back up, and your assistance is greatly appreciated. This can only happen if you send out a link and with recommendations to your friends and family. And now, to Israel's Burma Road. After Israel declared independence on May 14, 1948, it was attacked by the Jordanian, Lebanese, Egyptian, Syrian, and Iraqi armies, augmented by troops from Yemen, Saudi Arabia, and Sudan. After 2,000 years of exile, the Jewish people had a state of their own. But even as they danced, Israel's fate hung in the balance. The day after Ben-Gurion declared the state of Israel, the armies of Egypt, Jordan, Iraq, Lebanon, and Syria invaded. But the largest Arab army, that of Egypt, had only been tested on the parade ground. At its head was the playboy King Farouk. The king uh, hadn't had any experience of war. Nobody, in fact, had any experience of war, including the commander-in-chief of the Egyptian army, you see. At the time, a euphoria reigned in the Arab ranks. The boys were very pleased with the war. They thought it was a good idea. But they had no idea of, of the logistics uh, uh, and the problems they were going to face. Still, the Arab states, with a population of 40 million, looked certain to overwhelm Israel's half-million Jews. It seemed that Ben-Gurion's new state would last only a few days. We thought it was going to be a pushover, that the, that the Jews were going to run away the moment they saw Arab um, regular army uniform moving on to them with bayonets and whatever. Egypt's army, attacking from the south, headed towards the main Jewish center, Tel Aviv. Jordan's Arab Legion took the West Bank and the old city of Jerusalem. The Syrians moved towards Nazareth, while the Lebanese attacked from the north. The Arab regular armies converged on Palestine, superior in numbers and equipment. Early in the war, they had a number of victories. In the first two weeks of fighting, Israel's losses were very heavy, and its future was grim. Israel's first month in existence was marked by tragedy. Jewish immigrants who had been freed from concentration camps only a few years earlier went straight to the battlefield, and thousands died in the fighting. 
Ultimately, it would be the bloodiest of Israel's wars. In large part, this first month was pretty rough for Israelis. Counterattacks in Jenin, Ashdod, and Latrun failed. The IDF also failed to defend inhabitants of the Jewish quarter in the old city of Jerusalem, which was still under siege. In that first month, 1,600 Jewish lives were lost. Now, that might not sound like a lot, but when Israel was first established, only 650,000 Jews lived there. Despite the problems on every front, the newly declared prime minister, David Ben-Gurion, instructed Yigal Yadin, the Israeli army's chief of operations, to free Jerusalem, which was under siege, since the UN partition vote on November 29, 1947. Lacking natural resources and industry, Jerusalem was reliant upon supplies from the outside. To simply subsist, Jerusalem required at least 30 trucks a day brimming with provisions to keep it nourished. By the end of May 1947, Jerusalem's nearly 100,000 Jews were on the brink of starvation. Their ammunition was also exhausted. Ben-Gurion was asking the impossible, and he didn't told him as such. The high ground dominating the road to Jerusalem was an impenetrable Arab garrison located at Latrun, and Israel had neither the troops nor the weaponry to launch an uphill battle. Still, Ben-Gurion refused to bow to reality and give up on Jerusalem. He also realized that the moral of the country rested on the fate of the holy city. Indeed, he said, if the land of Israel is the heart of the Jewish nation, then Jerusalem is the heart of its hearts. Accordingly, Ben-Gurion ordered that Latrun be taken, even though this meant composing a force of ragtag fighters, primarily concentration camp survivors, right off the boats from the DP camps, with the most nominal military training and without adequate weaponry. As it didn't predicted, the attack on May 24, 1948, was ineffective, and Israeli losses were high. Nonetheless, Ben-Gurion ordered a second attack, and results were equally devastating. Far too many slain fighters had demonstrated that Jerusalem could not be resupplied by road. The Lilliputian Israeli Air Force, which was increasing almost geometrically every week, was too trifling to challenge the Arab Air Forces in aerial combat, and likewise too small and frail to deliver anywhere near the tonnage necessary to stave off starvation in Jerusalem. There was no apparent solution, and failure to devise one would result in catastrophe. Nascent Israel's military leaders convened to see how they could overcome an insurmountable impasse to save Jerusalem Jewry. Whatever the proposal would be to supply Jerusalem would have to circumvent the Latrun Fortress equipped with Jordanian artillery that peered over the one artery to the city. The motherhood of necessity was deeply challenged by Jerusalem's existential predicament. Southwest of Latrun on May 30th, 1948, under the scant light of the moon, three Palmach, Palmach being Israel's elite fighting force soldiers, Amos Chorev, the legendary American Colonel David Mickey Marcus, of Hollywood's Cast the Giant Shadow fame, and Vivian Herzog followed a shepherd footpath that crawled up the steep slide of a ravine. In other sources, I saw that the three were Chorev, Gabriel Rappaport, and Shlomo Shamir. They could not get their jeep up the final few yards and had to get out and push it over the ridge. Before collapsing from exhaustion, they gazed forward at the dark range of mountains 
and Horeb mused, If only we could find a way through there, we'd have another way of getting to Jerusalem. Could it be done, Herzog asked. Why not, Mickey Marcus opined. We got across the Red Sea, didn't we? The threesome were too drained from pushing the jeep out of the ravine to resume their reconnaissance mission and dropped asleep. A few hours later, ay, 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 the growl of an approaching vehicle awoke the soldiers, who quickly grabbed their rifles and couched into a defensive position. It was still pre-dawn, but Chorv recognized the driver of the oncoming jeep as a comrade from the Palmach. The five men were agog as how Providence had coordinated their rendezvous on the desolate Judean ridge in the dark. Chorev, Marcus, and Herzog had departed from Tel Aviv. The other two had set out from Jerusalem. Without saying a word, they spontaneously grinned like drunken pirates, turning their heads heavenward in gratitude at their grand revelation. Unwittingly, they had discovered a clandestine route to Jerusalem that was sheltered from Latrun gunfire. The Red Sea had just parted before them. But it was actually an American who ended the siege of Jerusalem. Ever heard of Mickey Marcus? Well, Mickey Marcus was a bright athletic kid who grew up in Manhattan on the Lower East Side with Jewish-Romanian immigrant parents. A decorated West Point graduate, he fought for the U.S. in World War II and became an advisor to Presidents Roosevelt and Truman. In 1947, Ben-Gurion turned to Marcus and asked him to find an American to advise the newly formed Israeli army. When he couldn't find anyone willing to take the job, he volunteered himself. The U.S. War Department allowed it, but under the condition that Marcus operate under a different name. In short order, Michael Stone, a slightly more intimidating name than Mickey Marcus, became the first general of the Israeli army. He instituted a U.S. army-inspired structure and took control of the Jerusalem forces in the spring of 1948 to help end the siege. Initially, he attempted two failed operations against Arab Legion forces to reopen supply lines along the main road between Jerusalem and Tel Aviv. Then, he set out on a new path, literally. Rather than try to reopen the main supply line, he decided to build a brand new secret road that he called the Burma Road. Named after World War II supply route in China, the Burma Road to Jerusalem was built mostly in secret at night, in the dark, along the imposing rocky slopes of the Judean hills, and under the watchful eyes of Arab Legion troops stationed in fortresses dotted along the route. Using hundreds of Jerusalem quarrymen, volunteers, soldiers, bulldozers, and a handful of donkeys, the Israelis constructed the makeshift road along a narrow footpath worn by centuries of shepherds filled with rocks, pits, and ravines. After two weeks, slow-moving supply vehicles were able to make the six-hour trip. Arab snipers did gun down a small number of Israeli road workers once they spotted activity, but couldn't shell the supply vehicles because crucial parts of the road were cleverly built out of the line of sight of the enemy artillery. Eventually, convoys carried as much as 100 tons of cargo every night over the new Burma Road, effectively ending the siege in Jerusalem just before a United Nations truce in June of 1948. Feverish work began that very morning filling dips, cutting through granite outcroppings, and widening the roadbed. Scores of stonecutters gathered from all over Israel and worked around the clock banging and clanking. They were unable to blast as that would have revealed their location, so the bypass was hewn by hand as in the days of yore. Colonel Mickey Marcus oversaw the conversion of the winding road the winding and steep animal trail that traversed narrow and steep ravines and was pockmarked with rocks and pits. Those under siege could not wait for a highway to be officially inaugurated, 
So at first, trucks loaded with supplies from Tel Aviv went as far as the steep slope that disrupted the path to Jerusalem. The cargo was offloaded and carried by porters composed of some 240 men in their 50s who had just arrived in Israel from the detention camps in Cyprus. These volunteers hauled heavy loads over rough terrain, two round trips a night for five nights, until the path was flattened and widened enough to be passable for a truck. Improvements enabled the first convoy to depart in the morning of June 1, 1948. Seventeen jeeps loaded with food and water, military, medical, and other supplies brought parched and starving Jerusalem its first taste of relief. The first Jewish convoy proceeded to Jerusalem, laden with ammunition, provisions, and reinforcements. Only now did the drivers from the coastal plain realize what they had done. They had saved Jerusalem. The clandestine alternate route to Jerusalem was nicknamed the Burma Road, an anomaly in Israel where everything is awarded a biblical name. The sobriquet was taken from the road built by the Allies during World War II that traverses the 700 miles of perilous mountainous switchbacks that connect Burma to southwest China to avoid the Japanese blockade of the Chinese coast. Because of the similarity of circumstances, the Israelis adopted the moniker of the contested ridge route to China. By June 10th, Israel's Miracle Burma Road had been enhanced to enable full-sized trucks. To climb to Jerusalem without requiring assistance from men, donkeys, or tractors, a water and fuel pipeline were also laid alongside it. The flow of supplies was increased from 12 tons to 100 tons a night by month's end. The Arab Legion at Latrun ultimately understood what was happening beyond the ridge, but locked from their view. They tried shelling the road crews, but they could not hit what they could not see. The Burma Road was a turning point for Jerusalem and nascent Israel. Unfortunately, they were unable to save the Jews of the old city, who were led off to captivity. Five days after the foundation of the State of Israel in 1948, the battle for the Jewish quarter escalated. Outside the walls, the Israelis had the upper hand. Within the walls, the Israelis were fighting large Jordanian forces. The battle lasted ten days and nights, with heavy Jordanian artillery fire. The Israelis surrendered and the old city passed into the hands of the Jordanians. The Jordanians were highly trained and fully equipped. For 10 days and nights, the battle raged. On May the 28th, the Israelis surrendered. One very obvious takeaway from Israel's miraculous Burma Road is that when lives are at stake and logic dictates that there is no way to save them, this is not an acceptable reaction. We wish to thank our very kind and talented sound engineer, Howard the Cheetah Felsen. Thanks for listening to Teller from Jerusalem, where this series takes an intelligent and thought-provoking look at the past in order to acquire a perspective on the present. Spread knowledge by giving us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe. 
Join us next time for a brand new episode and be sure to visit telefromjerusalem.com where you can find more details about the show and other useful information. Check out the site store and just by inserting the TFJ code, you receive an additional 10% discount off the already very reduced prices of all Hanoch Tele products, books, lectures, and documentaries. And remember, don't forget, you can get Tele from Jerusalem on any podcast platform or go to telefromjerusalem.com.